Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, hello again, friends. Welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek, and I'm the co-senior pastor here. And if this is your first time connecting with Vineyard Altoona, I especially want to welcome you. I'm so glad you've chosen to join us, and I hope this time uh, is beneficial for you. Before we jump into the message, I want to to make just a couple of announcements. The first one I told everybody uh, last week, but just as a reminder, this will be the last week that we do this on Zoom as well as our website and YouTube. Uh, Next week, the video will be available. It'll be on our website or YouTube. It's just a better quality video. You can still do what you normally do on Sunday mornings. It'll be available by 1030 uh, and you can you can have access to the content that way. The other thing that I want to say is next week, that's March 7th, we're going to meet together and we're going to do what we've been doing in our homes, only we're going to do it all together. If you're comfortable meeting, we're going to meet in the basement of the Salvation Army uh, next week. We'll begin at 1030. You'll be welcome to come uh, anytime after 10 o'clock. Uh, and, and we'll get together, we'll do this together, and it'll be a great time. Masks uh, will be you know, required. We'll have masks available if you don't have one, um, and uh, we'll distance and all that, but it'll be just a good time to be together. So if you're comfortable, Salvation Army on 6th Avenue. If you would like me to email you the details, a sheet of the specific details uh, just to prepare yourself, would you send me an email uh, at Derek at vineyardaltuna.org. That's my email address. Shoot me an email, say, hey, I want the details for Sunday, uh, and I'll be glad to send you a document that has uh, all the stuff that you need to know as far as where to park, uh, how to get into the building, and all those things. Um, so, so yeah, shoot me that email, and, and we'll get you the information. The other thing that I want to tell you is we're going to do a baptism on Sunday, April 4th. That's Easter Sunday. If you have not been baptized following your decision to follow Jesus, after you surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to be baptized, and we would love to baptize you Sunday, April 4th. Uh, If you would go to our website, uh, vineyardaltuna.org, there's a Get Connected tab, and at the bottom it says Register for Events. There's a, after you click that, there's a box for baptism, and you can just click that, fill it in, uh, or, or let us know that you would like to be baptized on Sunday, Uh, April 4th. Okay. With all of that, we're going to continue. We began this series last week uh, for Lent that we've called Have Mercy on Us. And the whole idea uh, behind the series is to press into the season of Lent. Lent is this season where we intentionally posture ourselves in such a way as to be uh, open to the Lord. Lent is a season of repentance that we would open ourselves up, that God could take the things out that don't belong, that that don't align with how he created us to be. Uh, It's a season for repentance. A pastor that we had in Columbus called it spiritual spring cleaning, and I really like that. It's a a time that we're going to open ourselves up and get rid of all the junk. And so Lent, this season, we're, we're intentionally doing that in this series. And let me tell you why we do that. 
We're doing that so that we don't just come crashing into Easter. Have you ever gotten to Easter, like the Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and you just sort of feel like, well, that was quick and over? Like, that's probably why. We're we're intentionally taking this season of Lent to prepare our hearts to receive again the message of the resurrection of Jesus. And so this series is designed to, to put us in touch with those places where our lives don't reflect God's best for us. And last week I talked about repentance, that repentance is just this intentional turning around, that when God invites us to repentance, he invites us to turn from the things that are destroying us and taking us further away from him. And he invites us to be the people he created us to be. That's the invitation uh, of repentance. And so last week we looked at Micah chapter 6, and I I told you to sort of set out like a court case. If you didn't see it, uh, it's on YouTube and our website. You can take a look later. But Micah 6 is this court case where God brings a case against his people. And God is the prosecuting attorney. And when you get later on in in chapter 6, the nation of Israel, God's people, they, they say, well, we want to repent. We want to turn. What God do you want from us? And you get to this great verse, verse 8 in in Micah chapter 6, and I'll read it to you. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And in the coming weeks, we're going to kind of camp on this verse a little bit and talk about what that looks like. If we're going to actively repent and turn in the way that God desires, what does it look like to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? Today I'm going to talk about what it means to act justly, and the message is called Seek Justice. Seek Justice. Would you pray with me before we begin? So Lord, we do just invite you into this time and into this space And God, I just invite you to come and inhabit the words that I speak, Lord, that you would weed out the ones that don't belong. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Would you enable me to speak as I should? God, I pray that we would be people who could hear your invitation to seek justice. And God, that you would make us the kind of people who actively seek justice in the world. I pray, God, that you would give gifts of faith today. Search our hearts, O God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you remember from last week, we talked uh, about repentance. And one of the things that I said is that all through the prophets, God consistently rebukes his people. He calls his people to account for two basic things. And they're the same over and over and over. It's these two basic things. The first issue that God has with his people over and over is that they worship other gods. That they're, you know, they they do the religious thing, you know, the sacrifice, they show up at the times they should, but their hearts are divided. And so in addition to worshiping Yahweh, they also worship the gods of other nations. The second thing that God constantly calls his people to account for is injustice. That they treat their fellow Israelites without justice. And so God calls them to repentance for idolatry on the one hand and injustice on the other. And that's constantly God's call. 
that we would be singularly focused on worshiping him and treating those around us with justice. So when we get to this passage in Micah, God tells the Israelites what repentance looked like. And I'm just going to read that passage again. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the NIV translation. It says, act justly. The uh, the New Revised Standard, the New American Standard, the ESV, they translate it, do justice. If you're a fan of the King James, it says, do justly. If you look in the Hebrew construction of the phrase, what it literally means is to take intentional action so as to cause justice to happen. The call to God's people is to intentionally work for justice to happen. The reason this is important is because sometimes, as we're opening ourselves to God that he would point out sin, sometimes sin looks like we did wrong things, right? Like when you think about sin in your life, you think, well, you know, there's that you know, there's the, the way that I, I looked at that woman, or there's the way that I hurt that guy, or there's the way that I was kind of, I wasn't exactly honest there, I lied about things, or there's the way that I sort of, you know, fudged the numbers, and these are all actions that are sin. But equally, sin can look like the things we don't do, the ways that God has called us to act that we have not acted. It's not just sins of commission, but omission. The confession piece that I read last week in the, my, from my Lutheran childhood says this. It says, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. That some of what faithfulness to God looks like is actively doing the right things. You know, this is the very thing that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was referring to in his letter from a Birmingham jail. If you've never read this, let me just encourage you, get on the internet, Google it, letter from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. It's all over the place. You can find it in PDF and it's only going to take you 10 to 15 minutes to read. It's a fairly short, but to the point letter. And in his letter, King is uh, writing to church leaders in response to their lack of support for his nonviolent protests. And he directly confronts those people who, even though they would agree with the thing that he's protesting for, nevertheless, they will not be caught giving action to it. And here's what he says. I'm just going to read some of this to you. It's, uh, again, you should read the whole thing. But I'm going to read this small section. Here's what King writes. He says, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, 
who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejecting. And, I mean, Martin Luther King preaching from the grave, right? What King was lamenting in his letter is the very thing the Lutheran confession reminds us of. That biblically speaking, when we talk about justice, it's not enough to say, I haven't acted unjustly. The Bible always calls us to actively do justice, to work toward justice. It's at this point, though, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, that I find that we Christians tend to get a little uncomfortable. Somebody says, well, you got to actively do justice. And the thing I think a lot of times we get concerned about is, well, oh, this sounds maybe like the social gospel, or you're afraid maybe that, that somebody's going to call you a liberal or a progressive or a Marxist or a socialist because you believe in actively doing justice. But here's the thing. It's never an option. All the way through the Bible, passive action toward justice doesn't count. It's actively making justice happen. That's what the word says. But what we tend to do in our fear is we find ways to passively agree with justice instead of actively do justice. But scripture's clear. We can't be passive. So what does the Bible mean by doing justice? Well, if we want to understand justice and the concept of justice in the Bible, there's two words that we really need to take a look at. So I'm going to geek out for just a minute on word study, okay? And for like the two of you that care about that, uh, you're going to like enjoy this next two, two or three minutes. Everybody else hang with me, okay? We're going to, we're going to take a little tour through some Hebrew words. The first word that we have to understand is this word mishpat. Mishpat is the word used in Micah 6.8. It represents people getting what they're due. And it's used in a couple of different ways in the Bible. The first way is to represent the rule of law. So like the way that the law functions, the justice done by the law. Okay. So for example, Leviticus 24 verse 22 says this. It says, you are to have the same law, mishpat. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. So mishpat is the law as applied to everyone. And in this verse, it's saying that, that everyone should get the same treatment of the law. So if the penalty for going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit is a $150 ticket, my 10 miles an hour over and your 10 miles an hour over should yield the same $150 ticket. It's what comes as a result of the law. It's justice, mishpat. But the other way this word gets used is that it also gets used when people get their rights, when they get what they're due, when they get what they're owed. So, for example, Deuteronomy 21 in verse 17 talks about the rights of the firstborn son. And here's what it says. That son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right, mishpat, of the firstborn belongs to him. It's getting what you're owed, getting what you're due. So, for example, you file your tax return. And you're one of the lucky people who, when you file your tax return, you actually are due a refund. 
when the IRS mails you that check, that is mishpat. You are getting what you're due, right? Or if you work for two weeks and at the end of two weeks, your employer says, here's your paycheck. That's mishpat. That's getting what you're owed. It's getting what you're due. So when the Bible talks about mishpat, it's talking about getting what you deserve or getting what you're due. The other word in the Old Testament that, that really sort of frames our understanding of justice is this word tzedakah. Now, tzedakah is, is a word that sometimes gets translated as justice, but more often it gets translated as righteousness. This includes your own morality. Like when we think about righteousness, right, we think about being a moral person. It includes that, but it goes far beyond that. Tzedakah is closely related to shalom. It's about relationships being right. So tzedakah is having right relationship with God that works itself out in right relationship with others. It's primarily concerned with the quality of our relationships. So some of you know Tim Keller, uh, but maybe you don't know him personally, but if you do, I'd, we could talk. Uh, but in his book, Generous Justice, Tim Keller writes this about Seneca. He says, this means then that biblical righteousness is inevitably social because it's about relationships. In the Bible, Seneca refers to day-to-day -day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. So in essence, if we get Seneca right, if we get relationship with God and relationship with others right, mishpat in its legal sense is unnecessary because we always give people the respect, care, and provision they're due. Now, why am I doing this nerding out in, in word study? Why am I doing this? Because what I want you to understand is that when we're called to do justice, God is calling us to much greater than just people getting the penalty for their misgivings. The idea of justice is a more comprehensive idea in the Bible. It's much more full than simply not wronging someone. Justice in the Bible involves active pursuit of righting wrongs, active pursuit of restoring relationships, and being generous toward others. That's biblical justice which means there is no such thing as hidden personal faith in the Bible. That, you know, you've probably heard that phrase, well, my faith is my own, it's my, I don't talk about it much, it doesn't, you know, it's my own thing. Biblically speaking, there's no such thing. Every aspect of true Christian faith is supposed to work itself out in pursuit of justice with those you encounter, that your faith should cause things to be different when you do life. It's always supposed to have a social dimension. Now, we spent some weeks talking about our mission statement and all those things. This comes so close and so near to the center of our mission. The mission of this church is to equip people to release the kingdom. Biblically speaking, doing justice is releasing the kingdom. Every time you engage in justice, every time you find someone who is homeless and hungry and you feed them, 
That's releasing the kingdom. That's giving justice to someone. Every time you find someone who's going to sleep on the street and you put them up in a hotel, that's doing justice. Every time you find the single mom who's at risk for abortion and you offer to help support the child so that she can give birth to the child, that's doing justice. That's releasing the kingdom. That's what we're talking about here. Whenever we talk about doing justice, we talk about releasing the kingdom. This is what we're trying to equip people to do. So the next logical question then is, where do we do justice? Or with whom do we do justice? Now, we can always say, well, of course, we just do it with whoever we come across, right? We just do justice wherever and with whomever we encounter. And, and it's right to say that. You're not wrong when you say that. But God is specifically concerned or maybe more concerned with a specific group of people. Over and over and over, when you look through Scripture, God calls His people to specifically do justice for widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. All through the prophets, when God calls His people to account, He's specifically concerned with how they treat those who are powerless or on the margins. God is concerned with how people are treated who cannot afford to financially secure justice for themselves or who do not have the social status and social capital to do justice for themselves. If you think about the way our legal system works, the more money you have, the more able you are to provide legal defense, the more able you are to delay a case long enough to, to build your own case. But if you don't have financial means and if you don't have social standing, you get the court-appointed attorney. And you get, you get what, your decision when they're ready to give it to you. you. You can't delay and build a case. These are the people that God is concerned about. So my question to you is where do you see people in need of justice? Where in your life do you see people on the margins who are powerless? Where do you see the powerless and speak up on their behalf? Or do you? And maybe in this season of repentance, it's an opportunity for you to confess before the Lord that you don't pursue justice. That maybe you're afraid to pursue justice. You know, maybe you have a heart for immigrants who don't have a voice. Or maybe you have a heart for the homeless. Or maybe you have a heart for the single mom who's at risk to terminate her pregnancy. Or maybe you are one who has a heart for the unborn ch child that doesn't have a voice. Who will never get to speak up on their own behalf. Or maybe you have a heart uh, for different races that get looked down on and get overlooked and treated poorly. Maybe you have a heart for something entirely different. How do you engage these people, not in a passive way, but to actively do justice. How do we do that? That's the call. When God calls us to repent, he calls us to do justice. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we should be familiar with this. We should be familiar with what it is to be powerless and stuck and in need of help from someone else because that's our story. If you think about what it was before you came to know Jesus, you were wrapped up in sin. You were stuck, uh, enslaved to death. And the thing that you did was you raised your hands and you said, help. 
and Jesus, who has all the power, came and rescued you. That's the story of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that you surrendered because you were powerless to get yourself free. And someone who had power rescued you. That's the story of the Christian. And it was the grace and power of Jesus that set us free. Not because we had any ability to do it. Not because we had any merit on our own. But solely by his grace, he he reached in and helped us, right? He saved us. That's the story of the Christian. But the beautiful thing is, after he saved us, he invites us into the story of redemption that he's working. We get to be people who, like Jesus, pursue justice for the powerless. That's the invitation to us. Often we find ourselves passive, though, don't we? Like if we take a look at our lives, have you, are there places in your life where you found yourself passively in favor of justice instead of actively doing justice? Where you've known that you needed to speak up on someone's behalf and yet you've been afraid to do so? I think the invitation of the Lord today is that we would confess to the Lord that we would say, yes, Lord, I have failed to do justice even though that's your invitation. I agree with you that even though I maybe haven't agreed and and engaged in injustice, I have not actively done justice. That we would just confess to the Lord. We would agree with the Lord that this is wrong. And that we would ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then more importantly, in this season of Lent, we would turn. That we would begin to take active steps, that we would turn around, that we would repent and begin to take active steps following the Lord as he seeks to do justice for those in our community. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.